This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. No, I'm not going to quit even if Barry resigns. And who knows, by the end of the pod, one of us might be the transport secretary. But we'll carry on with what we're here for until we hear otherwise. The women's Euros begin in front of a record crowd at Old Trafford. Beth Mead's lovely dink, just enough for England to see off Austria. Not the greatest performance, perhaps not the greatest game, but a win and a clean sheet in your opening game is fine. It's all about peaking at the right time in tournament football. We'll look back on that and ahead to the weekend's games. Also, Raheem Sterling agrees personal terms with Chelsea. Will only the Frankie de end up at Manchester United after all. We'll spend a bit more time on Liverpool and see if Barry knows the transfers that happened yesterday. There's lots of goals in Sierra Leone, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi, Max. Uh, Fresh from uh, being at uh, England, Austria, Salon Andy Hickman, hello. Morning. And fresh from commentating for BBC One, Robin Cowan. Hello, Robin. I think fresh is not the right word, but yes, hello. <laughs> Listen, it's, 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 it's what, the day after the day after two nights in Dublin. For me, it is also not fresh. <laughs> Andy says, Boris is in trouble, isn't he, Barry? Look, we'll get to that. <laughs> it's not what we're here for. Um, you were commentating then, Robin. How, how, how was it for you, that game last night? Oh, it was brilliant. It was, it was immense. Um, I don't think I've heard a noise like that at a women's game in this country, at least. I know it was, um, we've obviously had that at the Camp Nou um, earlier in the season with the Barcelona's Champions League games. But it was honestly deafening, spine tingling when they came out at Old Trafford. It was just fantastic. It was real like glad I was there moments, especially for those who've been covering the women's game when basically no one watched it. So it was it felt very special. Did it feel like kind of I don't know not the end of a journey, but it did it have that kind of I mean so Ceylon, you tweeted as well that I've already teared up three times. We're over seven hours from kickoff. Ceylon, did it feel like that yesterday as a kind of seminal moment? Definitely. And I think it's I tweeted last night. It I get the desire to stay away from the conversation about this is such a momentous occasion and and this means so much more and look at the growth and haven't we done well and all that kind of chat but it's it is really hard to stay away from that when you're when you're feeling it so viscerally in that moment and you looked around last night and it, it I described it as the it's like your whole life you've been waiting for kind of a door to unlock and trying to unlock that door. And then the door suddenly unlocks, but everyone's allowed through for the party and everyone did come through for the party. It was such an amazing atmosphere, like 68,000 people, young, old men, women, like just appreciating and loving the moment and the game and the players. And I think that was, yes, there were a few wonderful Mexican waves, which, you know, our young people absolutely love. And there were torches, but it was such a different it, it, it did feel like a new dawn. I think um, my friend Jenny, Jenny Simmons writes a, a magazine called Manon and she did like an obituary of the women's game yesterday, which was like 
the women's game as we know it died at 8 p.m. on Wednesday, the 6th of July. Like this is the new dawn. And that might sound quite sensationalist, but there is definitely that sentiment that it it feels like a, a new moment that we can all just, yeah, sit back, enjoy, uh, and I guess push to to the next level. Yeah, Johnny Lou writing that this ground hadn't seen so much this ground hadn't seen this much smoke since the Super League protests <laughs> was a good line. Did you feel that, Barry, like sitting at home watching on your television? Did it feel different to you? Yeah, I suppose you have to break it down. There was the occasion and there was the game and certainly it did seem something special. I, I do get slightly concerned sometimes and Salon alluded to it there that sometimes people covering the women's game can lose the run of themselves a bit and go into self-congratulatory mode when there is a massive crowd at a game and then you go and see a women's super league game on tv and it's kind of tumbleweed a few weeks later to get seventy thousand to old trafford for this curtain raiser for this tournament certainly bodes well for the rest of the the tournament and you know they've sold over five hundred thousand tickets all the england games are sold out so it is going to be quite the party as long as england do their bit mm. and they just and they just about did their bit i thought last night robin yeah i mean i think it's been said before that actually yeah the performance wasn't the most convincing um but i think that was understandable you know it was pretty intense a lot of expectation on this team and i think just in terms of the result was the most important thing yesterday. Um, and also I do think there were flashes of really good play. They were quite wasteful. You know, I think that was the thing that Serena Wiegmann would have been disappointed with. She always wants them to be ruthless. I mean, even when they beat Latvia 20-0, she was saying they should have scored more. <laughs> so it's, a, yeah, in my opinion, I think it's just, I'd like to see the performance level go up the next game. It's going to have to because Norway are excellent and a, a class above Austria, but... Three points, clean sheet. I don't really see anything wrong with that. I think there are a lot of mitigating circumstances with the performance. I don't want to bring it up too much, but it, the weather wasn't great. It was really windy and rainy, which obviously, you know, kind of expects going into Manchester, but it, it wasn't easy. And uh, I imagine just trying to get into the head of the players walking out into the atmosphere I mean, I don't know about you, when I get really nervous, I get quite tired, you know, you kind of shut down a bit. So I can imagine, you know, there were misplaced passes and I just feel like that would have affected them. I think getting through this with three points, one nil win is no problem for me at all. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there was a recognisable England that we've seen from the warm-up games. There was an aggressive moving through the phases really, really well. I think Kira Walsh played phenomenally again the way that she can turn out of a really tight space and and release one of the deadly front three so easily just with a, a a cutting pass or a ball over the top and we saw that and then it was kind of the last the last phase that sort of let us down there was we crossed I don't know how many crosses I'd love to see the stats but the crossing was yeah unreal just firing balls into the box from hemp and mead and but none of them were quite right um and I think that's where, you, and also we were playing against one of the best goalkeepers in the WSL. So it was going to take a lot to score a lot past her anyway. And it felt like we were going for a very direct crossing sort of tactic. But yeah, I'm really happy with it. I do agree that I think the occasion would have 
made it hard to settle. And almost there was this anticipation of what we've seen from the warm-up games that we come out stronger in the second half. And that didn't really happen either. So the second half felt quite flat. And thank God for Mary Earps, because I was sat there in the last five minutes thinking, if we concede now, this is going to feel like a massive loss. Um, and we didn't. And I think that was just a, a real testament to kind of the strength across the pitch. And that it doesn't really feel like there's a there's a weak area in this squad. And when you've got that squad depth as well, it does bode really well. And I think Norway on Monday night will be, hopefully we can relax a little bit more, more, more familiar size stadium for, the, for some of these players. Um, less pressure in terms of the opening game. Such a boost from last night. I can imagine the mood in camp this morning is phenomenal. I think Beth Mead came out, didn't she, last night? And the press are saying... Uh, I, I don't know what Serena Vigeman said because we all just got too carried away with Sweet Caroline on the pitch. <laughs> so that that will be so big. A nice little detail as well that I didn't notice at the time, but I saw on Twitter, Beth Mead and Manuela Zinsberger, the goalkeeper, are teammates. And afterwards, Zinsberger just said to Beth Mead, fuck you. Which <laughs> 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 I loved. As they hugged afterwards. They had a little cuddle, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> that was a, hey, Barry, it was a brilliant finish, wasn't it? It was a brilliant finish. Uh, the pass was excellent. The, the chest down was great. She knew exactly what she wanted to do. But I do think the goalkeeper was badly at fault and could have done better. She sort of ran out and stopped. If she'd kept going, I don't think uh, Beth Mead would have been able to get the shot off. So, uh, yeah, an excellent finish, but it was made easier for her. I'm not saying it was easy, but it was made easier for her by poor goalkeeping, in my opinion. So on some people sort of writing this morning, this is sort of redemption for Beth Mead or sort of um, getting getting everyone back for not being part of that GB squad. Clearly that in, in the Olympics, clearly that's a big, that must have been a massive deal for her when she wasn't selected. Definitely. She, if you look at that front three and what Hemp and Mead can both offer in those spaces and, and put into a tall centre forward, it is, yeah, really impressive. And I think we would look... We look great when Chloe Kelly comes on, definitely. But I think um, having Mead on the right, it, well, they but they swapped actually. They swapped in the first fifteen, I think, and allowing Hemp and Amy to cut in a bit more. But yeah, she's she's incredible. There were there were big rounds of um, Beth Mead's on fire in the club last night at about two a.m. So she's she's definitely a fan favourite. I'd like to hear more about the in the club at two a.m. So what what who was in the were the players there or this just the fat, what was the after party <laughs> like? The players weren't there. <laughs> I I did think at one point, I was like, imagine if you were one of the Lionesses and you walked in now and you saw this community of people. <laughs> like the England cricket team just wandering you. in. Yeah. Well, Chelsea women went to Box Park after the FA Cup final, didn't they? Apparently they, had to like, they were all just like seeing paying for their own drinks and food after they'd won the FA Cup in Wembley Box Park just with the fans. <laughs> uh, so we were kind of hoping, no, obviously the, the Lionesses were not there. That is not COVID safe. Um, it was a wonderful night. It was organised by Flo Lloyd-Hughes and uh, Becky Taylor-Gill and it was Studs v Huns uh, as a, a night in the Northern Quarter. There were many familiar faces there. I'm not going on record to say who from <laughs> maybe the podcast lineup was in that room on the dance floor. Wearing double denim. Yeah. I just didn't know Johnny Luke could dance, but I'd love to see it one day. Uh, what, what, what do England need to do better, Robin, than against Norway? I think just finish their chances. I think... Um, as I said, I think this one's out the way. Um, the sort of anticipation's over now. Play with a bit more clarity. I do think, you know, Austria are very astute defensively. Um, Norway's main threat, their main strength is their forward line. So um, they're going to have to be good. I mean, 
we should have a big mention for Millie Bright. I mean, the ball was kind of like, almost like a magnet to her head. She won every single header. She was immense. She's going to have to do that again because Norway have got, obviously, Ada Hegerberg, who's back fit and firing. But they've also got these two wide players in Graham Hansen and Guru Wrighton who can provide absolute quality delivery from the flanks. So, I mean, England, I think, on the whole, were fairly good defensively. They're going to have to be really good against Norway. And yeah, just I just want to see more of the same and just finishing off those those chances that they created. Um, you know, I don't think that, uh, the Norwegian goalkeeper is as good as Manuel Zinsberger. So hopefully um, we'll see more attacking threat from England. And actually, Austria, Austria, good, a good team, aren't they? And actually, had I not heard the preview pod that you did on the Cardi Women's Football Weekly, Robin, I'd have perhaps expected, you know, because Austria started that game really well, I thought, and like created some openings with without perhaps having really brilliant chances. But there is a danger, I guess, you know, it's it's in England that we see with the men's team a lot, that we all just get carried away. Once you sing Sweet Caroline three times, you think, <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna win this. And and like Ceylon, there are lots of good teams in this tournament. And it is it's in no way given that England will get to the final. Look, we're one of the favourites, but that doesn't really mean it doesn't mean anything, right? It doesn't mean anything. It it means something for a an England fan at an international tournament to have the sense of hope and optimism and get drunk on the feeling that this is, this is it and we're going to win something. And that is part of the beauty of supporting England in in a football tournament. Um, But yeah, definitely. I think it's quite good that we had, I think Austria was a first tough, a tough first game to, to come out against. We knew defensively they were strong. We knew they had, uh, a brilliant goalkeeper. We knew that they would line up in sort of a low block and try and and probably know how to play against this England team. Um, and they did hold on and they came out in the second half quite strong. Norway, it's good that we've had a game to warm up to go up against Norway. I'm hoping there's, yeah, as I said, a, a bit more of a relaxed feel to it and that these players can go out there, enjoy it and play the relentless aggressive football that we've seen in the warm-up games. So, but yeah, it is absolutely by no means... England's shoe into this final. But the win in the first game is everything, you know, um, gives them the chance to settle any nerves. If they had messed it up or lost, then they'd still be nervous against Norway and it, it could have been a disaster. So even if the performance last night wasn't brilliant, I think they need to hold the ball better, um, score more of their chances. The, the Yeah, the win is all important. Owen says, I'm curious if Barry's he says, uh, antipathy towards the England men's team extends to the women too. My terror at the prospect of a tournament win for the men is totally all-consuming, but I think I'd be pretty chuffed for the women if they did it. It's a, a, an Irish compatriot of yours. Yeah, I'd, I'd be the same. I I've no, would have no problem with uh, England winning this tournament. I, in fact, I hope they do win it. But um, yeah, I'd, it's it's the, the men's football team and, and the men's rugby team, I I want to fail <laughs> <laughs> I actively support the cricket team I'm happy to support the, the women's football team where does that come from though what what, what motivates the uh, the support for the women is it the shared the shared struggle at this point um yeah maybe I, d- I don't know <laughs> yeah it's a very good question and one I'd have to think about I suppose I've lived here for a very long time but so I'm. I can be magnanimous. I can. I could live here for five million years, and I would not be able to bring myself to wish the England men's football team well. But it's an interesting question, so and it probably reflects on on me as well. And maybe it's just because I didn't grow up with women's football. That last night I didn't have the agonising, like pain, nerves, fear that I have for. 
the men's team going into a major tournament. I, I and I, you know, I don't know if that's a terrible. I don't know if it's a terrible like subconscious admission that you know I'm just a, at heart just a proper football man. But like, you know, the 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 build up to a men's major tournament for me is still different. Yeah, I definitely hear that, and I think I'm trying to reflect on my own experiences now, thinking how I felt last night pre-game compared to how I felt maybe before the men's Euros kicked off last summer. And I think there's there's so many similarities, but I think the women's game naturally, because of my own lived experience, hmm. feels, I don't know, there's, there's a closer proximity to maybe the, the elite level that feels like we're all in this kind of together. I, f- I feel like when I support England men, I'm one of, there's, there's a... a sweeping national solidarity it's the only time I ever feel vaguely you know nationalist last night I felt I was there like had my three lines on my chest like patting my chest and singing and I was like this is the only time I ever feel like this and I definitely feel more patriotic when for for the lionesses but maybe less less nerves less dread than I do when I support the men but I suppose what what you want Robin in a uh, you know, in a, in a perfectly equal world, is everyone to feel the same nerves, anticipation, excitement, whatever they feel for one tournament to feel for the other. And I wonder if that for, you know, young boys now who are six, seven, eight, and like watching this tournament, like they'll watch the the, the men's tournaments and they'll just happen together, it, it may change over time. Yeah, no, I think you raise a really interesting point there because I think it's a, like... Because I cover the women's game, I if it, it feels like even though I don't know them, but you I know these players and you want them to do well, and that's how we get the sort of terrible ball of anxiety when we hear that. And then obviously watching the Premier League, we know the players, and we feel like you know we hear them in the build up and all that, and it's kind of like again you you have this kind of connection with them. Whereas I think that connection, as you say, hopefully those who are watching the tournament today will will start to feel that connection with the players, and then with tournaments to come that horrible dread and, mm. and horrible feelings will come watching them in a tournament and just desperately hoping them to do well. But yeah, this, it's still, I hate to use the phrase, but it's still growing. The visibility still isn't as big as, you know, obviously the Premier League so accessible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, but yeah, that connection will come, I'm sure. It's funny to wish, to wish that dread yeah, I don't know I've done more, that. even more. That, you know, <laughs> it's a terrible feeling. Most importantly, Robin, though, the tiny car was there, and what a wonderful, wonderful to see the tiny car. Oh, again. what a surprise! I wasn't expecting that. I was, it was genuine joy in my voice when I saw that. And you know, what? it was another first for me yesterday. My co-commentator Rachel Brown Finnis. I don't know if this is letting too much behind the curtain, but she turned up in a in an England shirt <laughs> to commentate. So uh, <laughs> that's a first for me. But uh, yeah, um, thankfully she wasn't in vision. <laughs> yeah, that was that was lovely, a lovely touch. But yeah, the car. I, I wonder if that Twitter account's been um, been active again since that. Um, yeah, no, the, the Twitter accounts. Do you know what? It's, it's one of those things where it was like, this is hilariously shit the first time you saw one. And then you were like, okay, I'm going to get behind the car because mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous. And now it's a bit knowing. But I wonder if, <laughs> when does the tiny car jump the shark, right? When, it, when gets, is it no longer cool gets to like the tiny car? Yeah. <laughs> so, Robin, in, in terms of your own sort of personal career highlights, how, how was where does last night rank? Oh, it's, yeah, definitely top. It's, I mean, incredible to commentate on any game for the BBC, but to commentate on an England game in their first tournament at home in front of a crowd like that, that was, yeah, the best, the best. And 
yeah, I mean, it's it feels like a big responsibility. Um, so yeah, I, hopefully it was all right to watch. <laughs> it, also, it also, I've seen quite a few journalists, commentators uh, reflecting that they, they they can't find the words, which is is quite a difficult uh, position to be in as a journalist or commentator yes. over the months. So we might not have much coverage of this tournament. It might just, <laughs> might just be all of us being speechless just every, every game, just <laughs> crying and tweeting like that we're crying. That. Robin, you just wept. You just yeah. wept for two hours. Like going, this is X such factor. a great... Like X Factor judges' yeah, houses, exactly. yeah. <laughs> you get your backstory. Your great grandmother always wanted you to commentate, and then you just dive in a swimming pool and hug Louis Walsh. Anyway, uh, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll look ahead to the weekend's games and uh, talk a few of the uh, transfers in the men's game. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Sidford said, will my hangover after last night's Dublin show be gone by the time you record this i i really hope so gary says how was that pint in mulligans on Poolbeg street on a scale of one to leaving a guitar in the back of a taxi yes <laughs> if, if someone has found a guitar just in the back of a taxi <laughs> around dublin could well you know just just look after it you know I, I don't need it it was only it was a very it was the cheapest possible guitar you know, imagine the postage would be more expensive than just getting a guitar equally that cheap. But it is very. I think. I think the listeners need to know, Max. That, like, you didn't leave it in the boot. Of no, the no. You were, you were sitting beside your guitar <laughs> in the back seat yeah. of a taxi. Yeah. And got out and <laughs> forgot to bring it. Yeah. With you. And then I and then I was in the hotel room, sort of looking around for things, and I just oh, I've left. I need to just. I just. And I thought, well, where's the guitar? <laughs> it's like it's not a big hotel room. And there was no. Were you just guitar. playing to yourself? Were you just thinking, oh, I'll have a little Wonderwall. I thought, yeah, I just thought, oh, that's what I like to. Do. I like to play "No Woman, No Cry" <laughs> just like just before just before I go to sleep every night. On the, just pick it on the acoustics. <laughs> Some do you think Elton John's ever got out of a taxi and gone home and gone? Oh, bollocks i left my grand piano in the back, no. back seat in the taxi you know it's a different level of gig i suspect but anyway uh hopefully we'll find a guitar for the shows in hackney come on this is our last chance to plug it they're really good we've got a few tickets left uh friday and saturday in hackney if you live anywhere near come please um because you know we do all these podcasts for you I and mean, we do we get paid for it i guess so you know it's not like getting angry with the listeners but look Come if you've got nothing to do on Friday or Saturday night. Um, <laughs> Troy Townsend, Jonathan Wilson. Is there an after party? Is there an after party? It's a good question. We did invite the whole of the Dublin gigs to the pub and they all came. And both nights there was just one barman, just like on a Monday night going, what on earth's <laughs> happened here? Anyway, uh, I got very angry about a chicken being thrown around. <laughs> I can't, you know, Mark Langdon was there. What, what are we meant to say? Um, Troy Townsend, Jonathan Wilson, Nicky Bandini on Friday. Ellis James, Barney, Ronnie, Sid Lowe on Saturday. Uh, Saturday's show is being live streamed. So wherever you are on earth, you can listen to it. You have no excuses. You can catch up uh, for the following week as well. Watch it whenever you like. 
and next Wednesday in Glasgow, Philippe Claire, Jonathan Wilson, uh, join us as well. Merchandise is available online and occasionally on tour if we remember to bring it. Uh, a scarf, a t-shirt, lots of David Squires inspired stuff and he is brilliant. Um, right then, um, I suppose the big news uh, before we talk about Northern Ireland and playing their first game in their first tournament, um, Alexia Pateas ruled out for Spain. Is, is such a massive blow, Salon, isn't it? Yeah, huge. And I feel really bad. So it's sort of a public apology. When I first saw the news, it broke on an Instagram page uh, saying it was a knee sprain. And I reposted it to my story and put, it's on, lads. And then it was announced that it right. was an ACL tear. And I feel really terrible. So I apologise for anyone who saw that. And you should never wish injury on a player. That is heartbreaking. She is in the form of her life and makes Spain so exciting to watch. So to not have her in a tournament, to do it on the eve of a tournament, to know that you're going to be struggling and in a physical and a mental battle for six, eight, nine months. Yeah, is heartbreaking. So yeah, I apologise for, for, for that for that post. I didn't know the scale of the injury in my defence at that point. I, I'm sure I'm sure you'd be forgiven. It's probably not forefront of her mind Salam I don't you know really <laughs> she's pinned that she's pinned your you. story on her <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely right for, for her rehab we wish her all the best uh, it's such a shame one of the best players Robin is out of the tournament right it's just a real shame for the whole tournament well in that manner yeah I mean I'm ma- mostly gutted for her it just must be so heartbreaking um, but yeah I mean um, in terms of the actual team I mean she was central to their plans so I just wonder how they're going to kind of rejig things. I think they were possibly overhyped anyway with her. So I really think they, they might be up against it. They're in a very tough group. So yeah, I mean, a huge loss. And also a wider point here. It's just the one of so many ACL injuries for women. So many. And there has been research gone into it, but it just doesn't seem like either people aren't listening or they're just not like, I don't know, doing anything to prevent these injuries. But we see them in the WSL, don't we, Salon? Like, like numerous it's usually like four or five a season and and it's just the most devastating injury for a footballer isn't it it's worse than kind of breaking something is is it to do with physique or physiology I, I... our hips this is one of the reasons please jump in if i'm completely wrong but because our hips widen um the angle can obviously compared to your knee there's gonna be physios listening to this being like she's talking absolute bollocks but uh, this is what i've always been told <laughs> is because our hips are slightly wider it means we're more vulnerable to the the tear and the planting of the way that obviously your knee plants in that moment and, and tears your ACL. So presumably in an elite level, you know, coaches and physios were saying, you know, what what's the only thing you can do? Once again, amateur hour of physios is like build up the strength around the knee, right? That's that's all you can do. And, you know, presumably that's what we'll, we'll find. Look, as the tournament goes on, we'll get someone on to talk about it because it's an interesting, it's actually quite a really interesting subject. Uh, I think like Northern Ireland's uh, in their first tournament, as you sort of mentioned on the women's pod, Robin, like getting there is the achievement for Northern Ireland, right? If they if they if they do anything against Norway tonight, it'll be extraordinary. Oh, it really would be. I mean, this is I really don't want to sound patronising, but this team mainly are part time, and they went full time. The ones who were only part time, who play in the domestic league in Northern Ireland, they set up a kind of full time camp from January until now. So it's really it's extraordinary achievement that they're there, and they're again. Any sort of positive, a goal would be amazing because I know they're all their games being played in Southampton, which is great because all their fans can go and camp there and, and watch every single game. So I'm sure it'll be a really great atmosphere. 
But realistically, it, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to, to pick up any points. It's just because of where they are as a nation in terms of women's football. But, you know, I, I'm hoping they get a moment at least to celebrate. Is there a possibility they could be end, on the end of one of those cricket scores you see sometimes in in women's football? I really hope not, because I think I'm hoping this is the tournament where we don't see the sort of seven, eight, nine nils. And you know what? They they are they're quite a cohesive unit. But um, <laughs> if they concede one, they might get emotional. As we I was going to I was going <laughs> to say the same thing. I just don't know how they're going <laughs> to deal with all of those difficult emotions that come with a tournament. <laughs> yeah, that was a Kenny Shields uh, comments after the. Uh, of the England game. But I think it's more, I think in terms of conceding one, then two, then three and four, it's it's just because their fitness isn't as, won't be as good as the um, the other teams. Because again, I think twice when they played England, they've managed to hold on, hold out for about 60 minutes and then the floodgates open. So I think it's just about, can they kind of use that adrenaline to just keep going a little bit more? And um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, I, as a Barry, I would just really hope not. I hope not for, for the tournament's sake as well as theirs. Uh, we had quite an interesting tweet uh, and I've lost it, um, but it, it sort of said, you know, why are you starting the Guardian Women's Football Weekly and then competing with it on, on the same day? Um, I, I think it's okay to have, you know, more coverage and we're not, we're not starting it and then just trying to kill it by being <laughs> on at the same time. But look, they're out today and they do a whole pot on women's football. We are obviously going to cover this because it's the most important football that's happening right now, but we will also talk about other things. They'll be out more regularly than us through the summer as well. So they're out today. They're out on Sunday. We're going to be back uh, Tuesdays the next time we're going to do a pod. Um, so I'm going to move to the men's game. Uh, there's, yeah. there's also the, uh, it should be pointed out that on the women's, or Guardian Women's Football Weekly, there won't be 50% of the panel who have not much of a clue what they're well, talking about. Speak for yourself there, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, you make a very good point. Um, so let's go to the men's game. And actually, I want to talk actually, firstly about the, the Champions League final. So I think Barry and I spoke to him on the radio. On the radio. You were in the fan part, weren't you, in... in Paris, but saw um, the journalist Daniel Austin tweeting yesterday, um, and he's been covering the story a lot, that Paris's chief of police, Didier uh, Lallemand, is set to be removed from his job, in part due to his handling of, of what happened at the Stade de France. Uh, this would be a significant victory for Liverpool supporters who fought to show the truth and for the safety of anyone in Paris. And as someone who was there, Ceylon, even though if you weren't at the ground, um, that must mean a lot. Right? Yeah, it's good to see someone who's done a bad job get removed from their job. It's a, quite an un- unfamiliar thing uh, <laughs> in this country. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, but it also doesn't take away the sort of trauma that a lot of people experienced that night. We spoke the day after. There was still a bit of a haze and and you were still learning a lot of new things at that point. Um, I've got a friend who was there and talked about what happened after the game, as well as everything that happened before the game. Mm-hmm. There's small victories in, in having someone re- removed from an institution that caused a lot of pain, but it doesn't make up for the pain that a lot of people experienced that night. And that's people's overriding more memory of the Champions League final. It was so good that the parade happened the next day for a lot of people who, yeah, had relatives, maybe not people who were there because of getting back, but lo- lots of people's relatives could go out and, and celebrate that moment with the team. And that could be their lasting memory of the season rather than, yeah, horrendously traumatic in night at the hands of institutions that are supposed to protect you and completely led you into danger at all points of the evening. Yeah, and, and I guess it's one of those things, isn't it, where it happens, we all go, this is terrible, 
fortunately the truth comes out and the truth comes out very quickly right as opposed to you know uh, previous situations but then when the news cycle moves on we sort of forget about it but there will be Liverpool fans who were there especially ones who you know have memories of Hillsborough even if they don't who are, who are feeling really sort of probably nervous coming up to the season right because of, of what happened there. definitely it's, it's, it's an embodied experience that's that's very hard to shake and like you said draws on a history and, and a collective history of something incredibly painful and traumatic so We'll see. I think. I think. Yeah. Obviously, we're we're fortunate in this country that stadium security, apart from the Euros final, is in a good place. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see when we start going to Europe and and how that sort of manifests amongst fans. I'd say. How how much um, back to Liverpool, the team and playing. How much? Um, how often do you sort of refresh the gossip pages, the transfer pages? Still on? Are you quite relaxed about? The summer quite relaxed i feel like we've done good business already uh and i can't really think of anything else other than the women's euros at the moment and the tory party can like you know <laughs> falling apart there's too there's too much news at the minute i cannot believe the tories decided to do this when they're doing it when we've got all women's euros to concentrate on so my refreshing sort of yeah the guardian live text on what's going on at downing street and then any women's football news at the moment so liverpool is definitely on the back burner for me Apparently Boris is resigning. That's the breaking news. Is that is that true, Joel? That I was literally just the news coming in from producer Joel. You probably will have heard it before you hear that. If this is where you get your breaking news, <laughs> fair enough. But, uh, what else should we tell uh, them if this is where they get their breaking news? Apparently, apparently the le- the letter is written by Boris Johnson. I mean, I know half our audience aren't in the UK. Probably don't care quite as much. But for most people in the UK, I can't speak for everyone. For me, I will say. That is good news. But maybe he's written two letters. He's done that before. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, back to the football. Uh, Raheem Sterling's going to be personal terms with Chelsea. Robin, what, are you surprised? I'm sort of surprised that Raheem Sterling has left City, actually. And and I'm interested to see how he does at Chelsea. Yeah, I'm really interested. It's an inter- Yeah, it's a really interesting transfer from, from both sets of parties, actually. Manchester City selling to, I guess they don't, Interestingly, I guess it's kind of a bit of a power play. They clearly don't see them as a rival or they just don't mm. rate Raheem Sterling as, as much. I think for, from Sterling's point of view, it probably is time to, to, do, to move on and, and go somewhere else. He's won everything with them apart from the Champions League and he maybe wants to be less of one of the kind of rotating front three and maybe be a bit more of a, a sort of main figure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope he does well. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of his, especially for, from the England perspective. But yeah, it's just an interesting one from a City point of view. Got rid of him, got rid of Jesus. So yeah, uh, it's it'll be interesting to see to see how he gets on at, at Chelsea because I mean, again, their their sort of forward line is sporadic in terms of actually firing. So yeah, mm. but he kind of is that. I mean, look, Daniel Charles, the Chelsea. Um... Uh, writer and, and broadcast said 109 league goals in 320 appearances since 1718 only Jamie Vardy Harry Kane and Mo Salah have more goals so I think surely there's some other centre forwards who've scored more but maybe maybe not like and like Wilson was on the other day saying like he's not really a, a clutch player um, to use that term saying you know in those real pressure moments but perhaps that's doing him a disservice I don't know yeah it's interesting because he yeah he's it got a ridiculous scoring rate but then you when you think of him he, you feel like he does miss quite a few chances so yeah, like him and him and Timo Werner together is great fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, it's going to be a lot like of pained, of... <laughs> pained expressions on the Chelsea crowd. <laughs> um, um, Barcelona have claimed that Frankie De Jong is not 
for sale, uh, even though um, Manchester United have got an agreement in place to sign him. I wonder how this window is really going along for Manchester United, eh, Baz? I'm not even sure he'd be that much of an asset to Manchester United, to be honest, but it is every window we do get one protracted on, off, on, off, big, high-profile transfer, and this, this is... This one, Eric Ten Hag clearly wants him. I read somewhere this morning he's furious that Barcelona have decided he's not for sale, but it's another one of those wait-and-see things, isn't it? You know, Barcelona could be just trying to weasel more money out of United. We just don't know. You enjoying watching what's happening at Old Trafford? Or has it got to a pity stage yet, Salon? Sorry, I just got the Guardian push that says Boris Johnson's to resign. Sorry, sorry to, to bring yeah. us back there. <laughs> no, that's okay. I just think once I mentioned that, I thought nobody on the panel is really going to be focused on talking about meaningless transfers. Oh, they, you know, <laughs> we could just talk about politics for 10 minutes. Um, no, my question, Salon, was, you know, uh, uh, do you look at what's happening at Old Trafford and, you know, another somewhere it doesn't seem to be working out perfectly with joy or do you sort of have you started to pity would you like a competitive Manchester United again it's a really tough question (laughs) oh would I like a competitive Manchester United I've also got you know I'm thinking about last night and I went into the toilets Old Trafford the women's toilets where by the way there was a massive queue and we need to really redesign some old stadiums so women can go to them only time you'll ever queue for for the toilet professional football matches if you're a women's game welcome to our world salon oh it must be so hard barry i'm just wondering uh, when you went into the packed women's toilets at old trafford were all the cubicles full of people smoking and doing cocaine (laughs) or were they actually (laughs) attending to their ablutions yeah predominantly children so yeah i hope i hope not that Uh, but you never walk alone was uh inscribed on on one of the doors when you went for a wee so um, and it wasn't me it wasn't me which was a nice moment so but do I do I want Manchester United to, to be competitive again no because of their ownership and I think if you're going to ruin a football club like that financially and uh, put profit and greed above the success and happiness of so many fans locally globally then no you don't deserve to do well until the ownership changes okay um, good answer. Uh, Barry, some transfers, what have happened? Joe Aribo to Southampton, your reaction? Um, I think it's a good transfer for both clubs. He's gone from Rangers. They bought him for 300 grand from Charlton. He's been good for them. Very versatile midfielder. I think he used to play as a deep-line midfielder under Steven Gerrard and then um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst played him in a more advanced role, I think, due to an injury crisis, and he was good there. He can play wide. Not quite sure. It's it's a bit like Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal. What what are Southampton getting? Are they getting? Do, are they going to use him as a deep line midfielder? Play him advanced. Uh, they already have James Ward-Prowse, Oriel Romu, uh, or Romeo, sorry, and Abrahamo Diallo. So, I I think it's a good transfer. But and Southampton do have previous in the field of buying a player from an old firm club and then selling him on to Liverpool for tens of millions of pounds. So he'll probably be lining up for Liverpool in two seasons' time. He's a good player. Um, Tyler Adams to Leeds. Yeah, he's a young American 
defensive midfielder. I suppose he's, I don't think he's like for like, but he is basically a replacement for Calvin Phillips. There are big boots to fill at Leeds, so he'll need to hit the ground running. He's played under Jesse Marsh at New York Red Bulls and at RB Leipzig, so Marsh is obviously a big fan of his. But I would not like to be going to Leeds to replace Calvin Phillips because that is a, a tall order. That is. Um, uh, Pogba and Di Maria have both gone to Juventus, which, I mean, the Pogba story is is an interesting story, isn't it, Robin? And and so it, it never really worked. Um, and we know he's a really good footballer, but he didn't really deliver often enough. No, it's a real shame because seeing some of the, you know, his range of passing, he's so elegant, strong. Um, when he's when he's playing well, he's an absolute joy to watch. But it just, I can't really remember that many times for Manchester United at least where we saw that. So, hope he gets back to it. it just, yeah, it just didn't work out. I mean, obviously he was playing under numerous managers, which probably didn't help either. So yeah, just hope he gets back to to sort of playing with freedom and being happy. Although I don't think we, yeah, don't think we need another. Hogmentary or whatever it was. Um, I think we can leave that story there. Will um, Graham Souness follow suit by transferring to BT Sports <laughs> so <we can> continue <laughs> to just tear into him week in, in his week back out. garden going, get your haircut? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just think if he just had one haircut for his whole Man United career, it could have been oh, oh so, so different, <laughs> couldn't it? Uh, anyway, that'll do for part two. We'll do any other business in part three. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uncle Leo says, um, would you resign from the pod if Baz submitted a no-confidence letter? Um, uh, Richard, will the Premier League still be able to run if there's a civil war? I mean, one step at a time, Rich. And uh, Guy says, can Mike Reed be brought out of retirement to send Boris Johnson off? I think he meant Mike Dean, but I love the idea of bringing Frank from EastEnders <laughs> back to life to walk in there and go, you're out. Um, anyway. It wasn't uh, Mike Reed the... the- Brexity DJ, pop picker. Oh yes, there's that Mike Reed too. Yes, yeah. Saturday from mm. from Saturday Superstore to Hard Brexit. <laughs> Who knew that was such an easy path to make? Wonder what Sarah Green and <laughs> Philip Schofield's views are, and Simon Parkin and Andy Crane. Are they going to come in and be interim prime ministers? Who knows? Uh, anyway, uh, that is a. Listen, there are other podcasts you can get that can do politics. Um, here's a story from Sierra Leone. You may or may not have seen. 
um, the Sierra Leone Football Association is investigating the outcome of two matches that produced a total of 187 goals. Uh, the two second-tier games saw uh, Kenema-based Kahunla Rangers and Golf FC of Kono heavily defeat their city rivals in Premier League qualifiers on Sunday. Kahunla walloped Lumbebu United 95-0 and Golf FC thrashed Kokima Lebanon 91-1. The one is so good in that, isn't it? Providing the two biggest victories recorded in the history of Sierra Leone's football. The best part of this is the halftime scores were 2-0 and 7-1. No. <laughs> yeah. No. 2-0. Next goal's crucial, lads. In it. Come on. Kahuna <laughs> <laughs> Rangers scored 93 goals in 45 minutes, which is two, two a minute if you, you know add in injury yeah. time as well. What happened? And you, you, generally, a referee, if... I reckon if it's 95 nil, he's not going to play the added time, is it? <laughs> Plus seven. Where'd you get that from, ref? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, they were on the same number of points going into the final round of matches. They were fighting for the remaining place in the National Super 10 League, um, which is, serves as the final qualifying phase for the Premier League, for those of you who aren't exactly sure how the pyramid works in Sierra Leone. Uh, the two games took place simultaneously. The referee of golf matches refused to officiate the second half. And it's strange because it was only what? what was only, what, the score was 7-1. 7-1. He was subsequently replaced. We don't know by a referee or not. We don't Another know. player for the other team, apparently. <laughs> yeah, Possibly, yeah. And then it says, things took a dramatic turn over the course of the second halves when it became clear that the team with the better goal difference would go through, with Cajuna netting 93 and golf scoring 84. I mean, like they're not on pitches next to each other, are they? So clearly they're just getting texts and going, you've got to keep going. They've scored another. But who's, this, who's, who's the Jeff Stelling of Sierra Leone? And how's he going to cope with that one? Was, or the, you know, you've got Chris Kamara at one, haven't you? And Alan McAnally at the other guy. There's been another goal, Jeff. Blimey. Chris Kamara's still on 7-1 and it's 99. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I missed that one. I've run out of fingers, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me just point you in the direction of... Uh, a story that Philippe Auclair has done with his mates at Josimar, a closer look at Manchester City's new Asian betting partner, 8X Bets. Philippe says we found some concerning answers, many more questions to be asked. Uh, he is on next week. Laura says, please could Barry wish me a happy birthday for Friday? I've treated myself to a ticket for the live stream on Saturday, although I'm in Cheltenham for the weekend, so I'll watch it when I'm back. I love all of your work, but especially Barry. Laura, um, yeah, I, I happily wish Laura a very happy birthday. And I hope she has a very nice weekend in Cheltenham, which is a nice part of the world. And I hope she enjoys the live stream on Saturday. Uh, uh, let's finish with an email from Jamie. I hope you're doing all right, Jamie. He says, uh, Dear Max and Barry, I hope this email finds you very well. I've listened to you in the pod religious, religiously for almost a decade. While many before me have said this, it really is true that you got me through lockdown. And that, as Barry alluded to in his recent article, I strangely see you as close friends despite not actually knowing you. Ten weeks ago... Uh, I was airlifted from a mountain after a horrendous fall while hiking on holiday in Wales. Simply put, I'm lucky to be alive. I've broken my back in three places. I've severely damaged my spine. Currently, I can't stand or walk, but I am improving and such functionality may return. These past few months have been difficult. However, this isn't the part where I reveal that the pod has got me through it. Rather, I've not been able to listen. 
Uh, you see, I listen to the pod on my evening runs. It's one of my favorite weekly pastimes. Not being able to run has rightly or wrongly mean not being able to listen to you either. Trying to be normal in a traumatic situation has just been too tough. Uh, last weekend, however, felt like a turning point. I'm at a point in my recovery where I'm improving. I've been able to reach back out to the world. This meant I finally plucked up the courage and listened to a pod. Despite the upbeat nature and usual fun, I found myself in floods of tears. I'd missed you. Uh, my wife and I also listen to the pod in the car sometimes. We cried together at some of the emotional fellow listeners' emails pouring in. We broke our hearts when Barry lost his dad. I guess what I'm saying is I'm now ready to catch up on those dozens of pods I've missed. In fact, I can't wait. I'm so thrilled to get lost in hours of hot takes, FIFA-loathing rambles, and Baz ripping into my beloved Newcastle United. So mind you, for what it's worth, not even 11 Sven Botmans could make me forgive what my football club has become. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for helping me to heal uh, your friend. That's Jamie uh, in Newcastle. Um, listen, Jamie, we uh, send you all our best wishes. Um, if you if you do if you Google Jamie, one of his friends, I think, has set up a, a GoFundMe or just giving, uh, you know, to help pay for you know rehab and recovery and all those sort of things. Um, uh, so you can find that uh, Jamie Hardesty, H A R D E S T Y. Um, but Barry, you know, I, I often come to you when I've read something emotional to say, will you just echo my thoughts? So that is what your job is to do right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's the stuff of nightmares. And I uh, just wish Jamie every bit of luck in his recovery. Yeah, we send you all our best, Jamie. And thanks so much for your email. We do appreciate it. We get lots of them. We we don't, we can't, we don't have time to read them all out or we start to feel very self-indulgent when we do, although we read enough out to feel self-indulgent <laughs> enough. So I don't know what I'm trying to say there. It's a humble brag, isn't it? Um, anyway, uh, that'll do for today's pod. Make sure you listen to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly as well to see if our hot takes were better than theirs so we can crush that pod before it has even begun. Um, and uh, they'll be back on Sunday. We'll be back on Tuesday, but for the time being. Salon, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And Boris Johnson has gone. Ah. That is ma- it's magical. Uh, who's coming in? Solana, should we just stay on a high for, for like let's just, 10 let's seconds? Let's just enjoy it. Soak in the moment. Give it Dominic Raab to the end of the season. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Robin, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Barry. Cheers. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian.